Good morning. Welcome to First United Methodist Church, everyone who has gathered today in person and who is joining us on live stream. We are one, really glad to see you and to greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today is the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany. We are marching our way toward Lent, which begins on uh, March 2nd. We have a Shrove Tuesday pancake dinner planned for March 1st. Um, we are going to be having a study on Simon Peter during Lent. We will have two classes. One will be Wednesdays at noon, and the other session will be Sundays at 4. So you can choose a session that would work for you. The books are $10, I think. We can order you one, or you can order them on Amazon. So if you're interested in participating, please call the church office. Simon Peter is just a wonderful character to study. He's just impulsive and funny and interesting and um, plays, a, a, plays the long game in terms, of, in terms of discipleship. We have much to learn from him. Today, immediately following worship, we have a Super Bowl and Birthday Bash fellowship time downstairs. I understand there's plenty of food down there. I know there's 13 cakes, and uh, it's just going to be a really fun time. Proceeds will benefit our children's music ministry, so I am looking forward to seeing everyone downstairs after worship. Will you please stand for the call to worship? Let us unite our voices. O loving God, you are the light of the minds that know you, the life of the souls that love you, and the strength of the hearts that serve you. Help us to know you that we may truly love you, and so to love you that we may faithfully serve you, whom to serve is perfect freedom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our opening hymn and a nod to Valentine's Day is Lord, I Want to Be a Christian, found in your hymnals on page 402. <laughs>
us unite our hearts and voices in our opening prayer. Let us pray. God of abundant mercy, you alone can turn evil into good, sorrow into rejoicing, and death into everlasting life. Teach us your way of grace to meet hatred with kindness, to answer curses with blessing, to love without holding back, to give without thought of return. All in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, for my children's time today, I wanted to talk about what is going to happen this evening. What is going to happen this evening? Who knows? Super Bowl. Yes, the Rams and the Bengals are going to play in the Super Bowl. Who is ready for the Super Bowl? All right, congregation, we're going to test you out and see if you are ready for the Super Bowl. We are going to try to do the wave. Let's see. So on three, we're going to start over here, and we're going to move over here. We're going to see how ready you are for the Super Bowl, all right? Ready? You have to stand up and... All right, ready. One, two, three. That was, that was pretty impressive. All right. I hope everybody is ready with their snacks and ready to watch the commercials. And for those of you who actually like football, enjoy the game. Did you know that the, the people who are playing in the Super Bowl today, they've won a lot of games to get here, and they've practiced a lot of different skills to uh, be able to get to this point where they're the last two teams standing did you know that there are Super Bowl Christians, too? There are uh, people who have practiced certain things and lived certain ways, so that they kind of become the superheroes on the field of the church. I'm sure you know some of them. They are people who practice the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit we learn in the fifth chapter of Galatians, are these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And they practice those things. They live in a way that exhibits those things. And other people notice them as signs and symbols of holiness, right? in our midst. It's a wonderful thing. Um, sometimes we think we come to church and um, other times we think, well, no, we have to prepare ourselves to come to church. And one of the ways that we prepare ourselves to worship God is to practice all of those things every single day, as often as possible, and that's how we get better at them. So I encourage you to look up the fruits of the Spirit, to practice these skills of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and uh, to become superhero Christians on the field of First United Methodist Church. Um, thank you, and may the team that you want to win win tonight. I hope everybody has a fun time, but mostly I want us to think about being Super Bowl champions in the church. 
practicing the gifts of the Spirit. That's something worth a congregational wave. Let us pray. Loving God, we look forward to tonight's Super Bowl, and we look forward to the event after church when we will have a Super Bowl with soups and snacks and get ourselves geared up, filled with spirit, ready for the game. We fill ourselves, too, as Christians, with the gifts of the Spirit. Help us to practice them again and again and again and again, getting better at them, learning from those who practice them, enjoying the fruits of the Spirit as they are shown to us so that we might become better Christians, better able to serve you and love you in the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we prepare to hear God's word for us, will you join me in prayer? O God, lover of humanity and joy of creation, pour out your spirit on us that we may hear your ancient words in a new key. Inspire us to sing your praise in every land and with every generation, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is found in the 17th chapter of Jeremiah, beginning with the fifth verse. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes or its leaves, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the sixth chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the 17th verse, and our Luke's versions of the Beatitudes. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. 
for that which for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. 23 years ago, my father remarried. My mother had died two years before, and June, the woman dad married, had lost her husband two years before. The two of them actually had met in Stephen ministry class at church. I officiated at their wedding, and weeks before the service, we began to work on the language of the service together. And my father and uh, soon-to-be stepmother wanted their service to be centered on the text from the third chapter of Ephesians about being rooted and grounded in love. Both of them had been in happy long-term marriages before death did them part, and so they felt that they brought to their new relationship a sense of being rooted and grounded in that love. Well, today's text from Jeremiah talks about being rooted too. The image is of a tree rooted by a stream that does not fear when heat comes or when there is a year of drought. Even in those times, because of its its rootedness in a place of life-giving water, the tree will continue to bear fruit. Think of those wonderful images, rooted and grounded, rooted and grounded in the love of God. Now, we have times of deep celebration in our lives when we know what that means. The birth of a child, a new generation of one's family, a future that is filled with new possibility, all come wrapped up in that little bundle. Moments of achievement, meaningful times that we get to spend with family and friends, the gift of recovery or of healing. Those are times of joy when we know, we know that God is with us and that God loves us. Rooted and grounded in love. But there are other times when the blessing of God's love and God's nearness seem hard, maybe impossible to find. When all of the roots that we have put down just feel insufficient to hold us up. As a pastor, I often think about how quickly times of tragedy can come upon us. I mean, just in an instant, a car accident, a heart attack, a gunshot, and, and, and one moment and everything just changes forever. Then feelings of rootlessness may come upon us, um, but they also sometimes come upon us in gradual ways. One day we wake up and we realize that all we have and and all we have done hasn't gotten us where we want to be or doesn't mean that much at all. If you're familiar with Stephen Covey and his writings, he talks about climbing the ladder of success only to get to the top and realize the ladder is against the wrong wall. 
So for years, we ran too fast. We located happiness outside of ourselves. We moved relentlessly toward that which we thought would fulfill us. Our desires carried us along, seeking and searching for more, looking for that holy grail that might finally bring us true happiness. And we looked in odd places. We accumulated lots of stuff. We, we accumulated exotic experiences. We looked to our relationships. We sought to make a name for ourselves and, and were always driven by the need for one thing, and that was more. But rootlessness may have been what we felt at the end of the quest. The fancy car got dented. The relationship got ordinary or fell apart. Dusting all that stuff became tiresome. What we failed to see in the pursuit of that desire is deeper than what can be accumulated on the outside. What we desire is blessing. We desire a deep-rooted happiness, our, our heart's true home, a knowledge beyond circumstance that all is well. A new car or a trip to Europe simply cannot fulfill that desire. So after years of searching, years of achieving, we end up feeling empty because all that we ever wanted turned out to not be enough to create those roots and to create that sense of well-being that transcends circumstance. Our Old Testament lesson this morning talks about a reality that may feel far away to some of us. A sense of being rooted in season and out of season, in good times and bad, in the love of God. So, if we're not there, how can we get there? Well, in our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus offers us some guidance. It's kind of hard to hear because his advice seems a bit upside down and countercultural. Counter our culture insists that the chase, the race, the pursuit, the grasping is the only way to get to the sense of rootedness and security. Jesus understands differently. Over and over, he turns cultural reality on its head. And just think about a few weeks ago when we talked about how Jesus, when asked about wisdom, turns not to a sage but to a child and says, to such belongs the kingdom of God. So here he goes again as he talks about blessedness. In these Beatitudes, Jesus pulls out life's miserable out of, out of miserable and hopeless situations, um, what, he, what he calls blessed, and he turns them around. Now, it's very important to hear when he says these beatitudes that they are in the present tense. Blessed or happy, blessed or happy are you who are poor. Blessed or happy are you who hunger. Blessed or happy are you who are hated. I have to wonder what his original hearers thought. Beatitudes are short two-part affirmations that sum up common knowledge 
about the good life. They were actually formulaic. They were a formula for offering blessings, and his hearers were probably waiting to hear beatitudes that made good common sense. Blessed are those who floss, for they shall keep their teeth, or something like that. But to name the blessed, the happy, the fulfilled in the present tense as the poor, the hungry, the hated, well, it's kind of like drinking from a glass of what looks like lemonade and finding out that it's bug spray. It was a shocking substitution of bad things for good things in which blessedness was equated with the very things that people tried to avoid. Poverty, hunger, grief, and hatred. Now, in Matthew's gospel, there are nine of these beatitudes, and Matthew softens the language a little bit. Matthew says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. But Luke is much more literal. Blessed are the poor, he says. In Luke's gospel, there are actually only four beatitudes, plus four woeitudes, that only Luke seems to know about. Woe to you who? The woeitudes were mirror images of the beatitudes in which woe was equated with things that people did their best to, to achieve and to enjoy, like wealth and food and laughter and esteem. And in the same way that Jesus made bad things sound good, he made the good things sound bad. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Now, admittedly, most of us come from the beatitude side of the spectrum. We don't want for food. Most of us had a hearty breakfast this morning. Most of us are rich by global standards worked hard so that people would speak well of us. And so many of us listen to the Beatitudes, and, and they sound nice, but then we ignore them. We put them in the same file or the same category as all the other good Christian advice that no one we know personally has ever followed, like selling all that we own and giving it to the poor. Nonetheless, I think the Beatitudes have much to say to those who have little. They offer hope. But they also have much to say to those who have much and realize that it hasn't provided their lives with meaning or a sense of rootedness. The Beatitudes remind us that these states of being, both blessing and woe, are not to be heard as rewards or as punishments. The Beatitudes don't even tell us what to do or who we are. They tell us who Jesus is. I once had a parishioner call me from the hospital with test results that had just come in. He had just learned that he had leukemia, and I spent the day with him, and it was a day filled with, as you can imagine, a lot of tears and a lot of fears. His doctor gave him a 90% chance of survival with treatment. A month later, he'd moved from this sense of fear and vulnerability to a sense of gratitude, even referring to his leukemia as a gift, because it caused him to stop and look at his life, spellbound, 
seeing that every bit of life is grace. He said, sometimes I sit in bed and I'm too weak to move, and I look out the window and I see a flower, or I see a bird, or I see somebody coming up the walk. And he said, it's enough. It's so beautiful. Well, Jim survived and was changed forever and now says he doesn't fear anything. Doesn't fear anything in life, doesn't fear anything in death. Rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in the love of God. I think the word in matters in this phrase. It is not rooted because we are rooted in. We are not happy or blessed because. We are happy and blessed in God. We spend our lives in pursuit of it, not realizing it that not realizing that it has been pursuing us. True happiness enters our lives when we fully enter life. My thinking about this is, is really being spurred by a book I'm reading. A book list came out. can't remember if it was in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. Um, of top 10, top 10 books from last year or something. I don't know. I, I found it online. But one of the books is called, titled 4,000 Weeks. Do you know what 4,000 weeks refers to? An average lifespan. That's what we get. We get 4,000 weeks. Most of us try to get through our weeks by getting a lot done, trying to forge our way through our calendars or through our lengthy, detailed to-do lists. And uh, this book really says that we should be getting through our weeks with a sense of brevity with a sense of how brief life is um, and that productivity and time management really aren't the way for us to think about our time. Uh, we should think about our time in a way that helps us to build a life. It's a very provocative and interesting book and I highly recommend it. I think it's very germane to this, this thinking about rootedness in the love of God. To pursue the kind of rootedness that is spoken of by Jeremiah then becomes something of a paradox. The chase, the pursuit, becomes a non-pursuit. It becomes a resting. It becomes a kind of surrender. The hard work becomes a Sabbath, an invitation to enter more fully and deeply into our lives. That is where blessing catches up with us. It really has nothing to do with the circumstances of our lives. Give up the chase, and paradoxically, we get swept up, caught up in blessing. It's like body surfing. You can go out and try to catch the wave and never get there, or you can wait for the wave and come in on the ride of your life. But sometimes the shock of hopelessness, the surprising vulnerability where we see the futility of our own lives and begin to depend on God. So again, I said that the Beatitudes 
don't tell us who we are or what to do. They tell us what, what, who Jesus is. And that's how we are to hear the Beatitudes. We hear what's spoken, but there's an unspoken completion of the blessing. Blessed are you who are poor. The unspoken half is. For you know that life depends on the richness of God. In the last days of his life, Cistercian monk Thomas Merton visited some of the giant stone Buddhas in what is now Sri Lanka. And he found the experience profound, and he wrote this in his journal. I am able to approach the Buddhas barefoot and undisturbed, my feet in wet grass, wet sand. The silence, he wrote, of the extraordinary faces the great smiles, huge but subtle, filled with every possibility, questioning nothing, knowing everything. All problems are resolved because everything is clear, simply because what matters is clear. To know what it means to be rooted and grounded in the love of God is to know finally exactly that. All problems are resolved and everything is clear simply because what matters is clear. Thanks be to God. Amen. As forgiven and reconciled people, let us now return thanks to God with our gifts of tithes and offerings. Will the ushers please come forward? Let us pray. Loving and eternal God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for each day that you give to us, and we thank you for the sense of rootedness and blessedness that come from knowing you and knowing your character, knowing that you are in our corner, knowing that you love us no matter what, in season and out, and regardless of circumstance. When we know that deep down in our bones, it changes everything, everything. It changes what we believe matters. It changes what we believe to be important. It enables us to reach out in hope and love. We thank you that you have equipped us to do that, and we pray that you will help us to use all of our gifts to share that message of hope and love and good news. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
standing as together we affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Was that offertory not amazing? That was amazing. I noticed in the first service that Beth was putting the bells down in different places. She's got 16 bells to, to, to choose from, and they're, they all get moved around multiple times during the, the piece, and uh, it's just like a game of concentration where you have to remember which bell to pick up in which place that matches the note on the page. It's just absolutely mind-boggling to me. Uh, one of these days, I hope that Jill will... Um, be able to do a children's sermon where people can come up and see what she's doing at the organ because similarly uh, she's working at different levels with different stops on the side and a full range of pedals not just three like on the piano but how, how many are there? Five, so there's five keyboards and how many are foot pedals? It's an, it's, a, it's an exact keyboard, like what you have here on the piano, too. Or piano, the keyboard. Of, Unbelievable. Of, yeah. So yeah. you kind of have to be a human octopus, yes. really, to play the organ or to play the handbells. And I'm just incredibly grateful for these two women who can make an aerobic workout sound glorious. Thank you. Let us go to God in prayer. Loving and eternal God, we pray this day for all who live in fear or face challenges that are daunting. We pray for peace in Ukraine. We pray that you will guide those who are working diplomatically. We pray for our leaders and their wisdom. And Lord, we just ask that you help move us toward a place where every child, every person can sleep through the night in peace. We thank you this day for the gifts of this congregation, the ways that you have equipped us individually and, and collectively to do exactly what you call us to do. It takes all of us into very different places, and yet we know that wherever we are, you have given us a way to make a difference by sharing hope and sharing the gospel message of love. We thank you for the gifts of those who have provided for us downstairs that we may enjoy a wonderful time of food and fellowship following our worship service. May the meal remind us that you sustain us all the time and to look for the ways that you sustain us, and to give our hearts true thanks. 
For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray each day, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing hymn is Sing with All the Saints of Glory, and it is found on page 702 in your hymnals.
if you know this, but our communion rail, our, our altar rail, sometimes called the chancel rail, we always think of that as a wonderful place to kneel after we take communion and prayer. But originally, they were put into uh, places of worship to keep wandering animals from coming inside and coming on up and eating the elements. So uh, they were meant to, to, to keep animals from their food. We are not animals. We do not want to be kept from our food. So I would like, instead of a benediction, to say grace so that we can immediately go downstairs and begin our time of enjoying a meal together uh, and visiting over wonderful tabletop fellowship. So let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for being able to gather to enjoy tabletop fellowship, which throughout the Old and New Testaments has seen as such a holy time. Help us to see the sacred in others. Help us to experience the nourishment of our bodies that we may know that you nourish our souls and strengthen us and equip us for what you call us to do. Above all, let us give thanks for the food, for the people who surround us, and for your presence with us at the table. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.